0: you know, Andrew, um, don't feel too bad for him though. He's going to the final four.
1: Yeah. I mean, this guy gets to go to like Nebraska football games and he gets to go to the final four and he's going to all sorts of stuff throughout the year. So very rarely do I feel bad for Andrew Alex and, uh, today is no exception, but in all seriousness, so hopefully he enjoys, uh, enjoys his trip and, um, if he gets caught with a Duke shirt on, uh, we're probably going to have to ban him from the podcast. Yeah, I don't think there's. Uh, I don't think that's going to be allowed.
0: Yeah, his dad is a Duke alum, so that is why he is at the Final Four. And Andrew most assuredly will be wearing a Duke shirt. Somebody photograph it, please. Somebody at the Final Four listening to this needs to. Yeah, because that.
1: if he gets caught with that, then whenever we need. To troll Mr. Alex, um, that can be kind of the the standard troll for him because, um, yeah, like imagine, I don't know, like imagine a picture of Mike McDaniel wearing like a UVA baseball shirt.
0: Yeah,
1: like we would we would have to tar and feather you on College Ave.
0: It's pretty funny because I actually (laughs) owned a UVA baseball shirt um, because I went to a UVA baseball camp years ago, so I owned one for a while, and um, I have not worn that shirt in years for obvious reasons. (laughs)
1: Well, I'm very, very proud of you. Yeah, Yeah, so uh,
0: avoided that. Uh, We are presented by Main Street Pharmacy because Jeremy Counts is dumb enough to give us money to (laughs) record this podcast every week. But we try to put out good content. We appreciate Jeremy um, and the crew at Main Street Pharmacy for sponsoring our podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, just imagine, imagine how wild you've got to be as a human being to look at a podcast named Hokey Hangover and be like, you know what? That's a winner right there. Like that's that's who I want to hitch my wagon to. Um, but in all seriousness, Main Street Pharmacy will not treat you like a number. Um, instead, they treat you like a neighbor. And I think we could all use more of that these days in, uh, in, in our, our businesses that we patronize. So uh, in all seriousness, shout out to Jeremy for um, sponsoring the podcast and helping to make this possible. Um, it's certainly been a, a, a beneficial partnership for us, and I certainly hope it's been the same on his end as well um he is stuck around so that's a good thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, through almost two full years, right? He is stuck with us. So And not just like any
1: like two, two years. normal years, right? Like right. We had a pandemic and then we yeah. have uh record inflation and Jeremy's like sure, I'll keep sponsoring the podcast. And yeah. he also sponsors the athletic department. So if you're in Blacksburg and you enjoy Virginia Tech athletics, which would be damn near all of you, um why go to Walgreens or CVS when you can go to Main Street Pharmacy?
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Support small businesses, support Jeremy. Jeremy directly supports the athletic program at Virginia Tech, and he's doing a lot of great things for the community down there. So we're really happy to have him as a sponsor of this podcast, Rick. Topic number one, Jaden Payu took a medical retirement He's taking a medical disqualification is the NCAA term, man. He's been battling foot and ankle and all sorts of injuries now for the past two, two and a half years. There was a lot of promise for him coming out of high school. He was the number four recruit in Virginia in 2019 out of Chesterfield, Virginia, and really just never found his footing. No pun intended. Um, He's been battling injuries um, with his foot, never really got healthy and never really panned out on the field for Virginia Tech. So, unfortunate uh, to see him have to take the, the medical disqualification, but seems like he's comfortable with the decision that he's making. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, but how
1: many of the higher-profile recruits from the Justin Fuente era became even uh mild contributors.
0: You know, I'm thinking back, it was really just that one class in 20, I guess it would be the 2017 recruiting class. Is that the is that the Trey Turner? No, that was 2018. 2018. I mean, really he had that one recruiting class where he made that push in North Carolina and it was Dax, Trey yeah. Turner. So Dax,
1: Trey Turner, um, Quincy. I mean, I, I guess he did make a mild contribution, but he didn't stick around. Right. Jeremy Webb got hurt. Shamari Connor has has been good. I mean, this this was you know Virginia Tech's best class into the Justin Fuente era, and yep. but like other than Trey Turner, like, none of these guys lived up to the billing. And yeah. that's not like a – I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say it's an indictment on, on Jaden Payute, right, because he right. He's, he's dealing with physical ailments that he just right. can't get past. And this happens to talented athletes across the country and across the world. But, like, at a certain point, you just have to, like – like just, going, just back, going back, and obviously it doesn't really matter all that much now, but the previous staff's ability to evaluate guys and develop them was just really, really poor. And yeah. um, this has kind of like changed, like the Justin Fuente Eric changed my entire uh, outlook on recruiting. And this is something we've talked about in the past on this podcast, in that I am done buying into the hype with guys, like, individual prospects. Um, I don't, like, I don't care what their huddle film looks like. I don't care how many stats they put up in high school. Um, like, so much matters once you get them to campus that I'm just done buying into the hype. And, you know, hopefully my, my jaded philosophy will be, you know, proven wrong by this current staff. But my my default position now is that I'm just not going to buy into the hype of anybody, uh, whether it be football or basketball, quite frankly. Um, but going back to Jaden, it's an absolute shame. You know, he he was a, a very talented athlete, someone who was really kind of still learning the the finer parts of playing wide out. And, you know, he makes that 42 yard catch in the in the bowl game. And, you know, you're thinking to yourself, okay, this kid is like on the on the cusp of finally getting a shot where he's healthy and he can go out and earn some significant playing time, given the the lack of experience and and uh, perceived talent at the receiver position and obviously is is once again injured. So it's a shame. Uh, I hope he is able to move on from it mentally and get himself in a good spot where he can, you know, take on the next chapter of his life. Um, but it, it is nice that this, this uh, exemption exists for players who go through these injuries where they can remain on scholarship, but also not count towards their team scholarship numbers. Uh, so they can continue getting their education. They can continue trying to build a better life for themselves down the
0: road. The three highest recruits of the Justin Fuente era were Devin Hunter, Doug Nestor, Jaden Payu. Nestor transferred to West Virginia, Devin Hunter didn't really do anything, and then Jaden Payou has to Devin hunt Hunter Devin Hunter was more than just not
1: did anything like the man was suspended for a year. yeah and and then didn't I mean didn't do anything prior to that, right like Red. redshirted his second year, which is Abnormal, right? Like played a full year, then redshirted, which is abnormal anyway. And then, you know, obviously has his off the field issues. And yeah, Doug Nester d- doesn't stick, and Jaden Payout could never, never get healthy.
0: The Devin Hunter, like botching, and I mean, it goes both ways, right? Because you got to find your fit, and then you have to play well enough, practice well enough to get on the field on Saturdays. But it reminds me a lot of Joel Caleb. In the just in the um, Frank Beamer era, where Joel was a you know one of the top recruits in Virginia, very highly touted coming out of high school, they never really could figure out where to put him. He was a high school quarterback. They tried to put him a DB. They tried to put him a running back. They tried to use him as a pick returner. It just never really panned out. Um, he ended up transferring, I believe, to Norfolk State towards the end of his career. So it just never really. Hand out for him and Devin Hunter, I feel like was very similar. Obviously, with Jaden, it's a little bit different because he's injured. Um, but all that to say, the three of the highest recruits of the Fuente era Doug Nestor, Kayote, and Devin Hunter, all basically non-factors on the field of Virginia Tech. And when you recruit as poorly as Justin Fuente and his staff did over his time in Blacksburg, um, to have now your three highest recruits, like not a single one of them hit and not a single one of them produce on the field. I mean, that absolutely dooms you, especially when you're not recruiting the guys that you're capable of recruiting um, to the Virginia Tech program to begin with.
1: Yeah, I mean, like this 2018 class in particular is just really hard to go back and look at, right? Like, I remember when this class was signed, and I was like, holy shit, you know, Dax Hollifield is going to be a, you know, really good linebacker, maybe not an elite one, but he's going to be really good. Trey Turner is going to be a really, really good athlete at 6'4", which he was never 6'4", and also listed at 185, which I found funny because the man was like 187 for his entire career. Quincy Patterson, an Elite 11 guy who, for one reason or another, never panned out. Um, Alan Tisdale has you know, at least turned into a kind of a rotation guy, but he's not, um, not what you would hope out of a four-start athlete four-star athlete, um, Daryl Simmons, gone. DJ Croson, gone. Keyshawn Artis has never gotten a chance. Walker Culver, gone. Cam Good, never played it down. Dewan Ellis, gone. Uh, Cole Beck is a track star. Javon Becton, gone. Um, you know, and, and then you get down to the bottom of this class, right, and you get like Luke Tenuta, who's going to possibly play in the NFL. Christian Derisaw, first-round <laughs> draft pick. Jermaine yeah. Waller, going to probably play in the NFL uh it's kind of weird how that works right like um but like all you you can't have those those top guys miss it it just you you've got to hit on at least some of those guys like like obviously you're not going to hit on every one but at a certain point you've got to hit on some of these some of these dudes like brian hudson i mean jr walker is you know now switching positions to linebacker um Tavion Robinson transferred out and you know he was a good player, but he's gone. Jacoby Pinkney never really, tra- never really panned out huge year for Jesse Hanson. Right. He's got nobody in front of him this year. Uh, I believe this is what his third or fourth season uh, now uh, coming into the program, Elijah Bowick, like all these names that we really talked up and we thought that these guys had a chance to be really good players they just never panned out. And, you know, some of that falls on the player, but a lot of it falls on the coaching staff.
0: Yeah. It feels like for every guy that Justin Fuente and his staff developed that maybe was overlooked on the recruiting trail for every guy that developed and became a really good player for Virginia Tech, you know, you talk about Waller, Darisaw, Luke Tenuta, there were several top recruits that did not hit. And if you're going to build a successful program, you have to have both things happening at once. And that just never happened under Justin Fuente. Ricky, you talked about the position changes, and let's get into that now because Brent Pry had a press conference earlier this week and he discussed some of the position changes that are taking place uh, this spring, which is significant to monitor, you know, because as much as we can glean from Brent Pry and kind of his way of doing things, um, he really just wants to get guys on the field who are going to be able to contribute. Um, he mentioned in his press conference, he wants to find guys who are going to compete and help them win the league. Now, that's not you know, something that he was like, he's not openly saying, yeah, we're trying to win the league year one, obviously, he's, you know, optimistic the team plays better than they did last year, but he's trying to find guys that, you know, you know, he knows that can contribute on the current roster that maybe we're not being used in a manner that, you know, he thinks maximizes their full skill set. So.
1: He also sure. made a comment that stood out to me where he said, we don't want any frauds. Yeah. And that, that really yeah. resonated with me. I was like, Oh wow. Like a coach, you know, telling his players, Hey, like y'all better, y'all better show up if you're going to talk all this talk. So that was actually kind of a nice, uh, a nice change of pace to have a, have a coach challenges guys like that.
0: Yeah. Openly. Um, and I think it's early enough too, where you're not, really like berating your players in the media,
1: you know? No, but you're,
0: you're you're setting a standard
1: that like, Hey guys, you know, you guys came in as highly regarded recruits. You guys claim that you've got a lot of talent. Well, I better see it on the practice field. Right. Right. Like that's, that's his message. And, and I, 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 I not only respect that. I welcome that. Like I crave that kind of culture where it's a prove it culture. Um. You know, we there was a lot of talk about when Devin Hunter first signed. It was like, okay, well, we need to get Devin on the field now, right? He's a you know he's a five, four, five star guy, depending on where you look. We need to get him on the field now. And um, to Justin Fuente's credit, like uh, Devin Hunter didn't play all that much right away. He was mostly earning his his keep on special teams, and um, that's the kind of culture that I want in in, in my football program that I cheer for. If you want to start, you better go out there and prove it. I don't care that you're a four or five star guy. You better show it in the weight room. You better show it in the practice field. You better show it in the film room.
0: Let's go through these real quick. Um, Keontae Jenkins, who's played safety on the first few years of his career, he's being moved to field linebacker. Um, Lakeem Rudolph, who you mentioned before we hit record, started out as a receiver <laughs> under Fuente. <laughs> <laughs>
1: which is just my man was like six four two ten is a high school kid and they were like yeah he's a receiver and this staff was like nah he's a defensive end
0: <laughs> yeah uh it's i have some questions but anyway he's being moved from linebacker <laughs> to defensive end which is probably a more natural fit for him um a la amari barno with you know, body type and that sort of thing. Obviously, we'd have to put on some weight, but similar similar size. Dunner um, Gibbons moving from defensive end to defensive tackle, which not a huge surprise given his size. Naturally, just I was going to say
1: further. a pun like that. That's like
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was that, that was kind of
1: kind of inevitable that he was going to have to move in. He was already what two seventy yeah. coming out of high school. Like he's going to put on some weight. That that absolutely needed to happen at some point.
0: Definitely. I mean, we talked about this before um, on this podcast. We mentioned Gunnar Gibbons as a defensive end. It just didn't seem like a fit given what his body size was. He was going to. I mean, to hell, or Originally,
1: better. like the original thought that was he was going to play offensive line, right. and and then they were like, "No, we're going to go ahead and, re- and give him a shot on on defense." And it's like, "Oh, okay, you're putting him at end." Like, no, there's no chance he's going to stay at end. So that that makes perfect sense that he's moving over um, the. The Jaden Mcdonald one. i'm gonna I'm gonna uh, claim ignorance on that one because I haven't really been able to see him play. and I don't know what his body style looks like right now, so I'll'll defer to the coaching staff. But there's another guy that's changed positions a couple times now, going from corner to safety and now from safety to linebacker
0: yeah. um
1: and and actually and, end now, yeah,
0: yeah. The McDonald's twins are moving around, and I I don't know. Well, they, they were such a late addition to that class a couple of years ago. I'm really interested to see how they panned out. Two really good high school football players. This
1: this spring, and 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 specifically for me, this spring game is so important to to like see the body the body style of each position and what they're what those guys are looking for. Because you you think about moving someone like J.R. Walker to to weak side linebacker or Keontae Jenkins, the weak side linebacker. And all of a sudden, like you're thinking, okay, so like tech wants to have a, a a third linebacker on the field, but it's not a third Dax hollow Right. It's not a third, uh, Alan Tisdale per se. Like it's actually kind of a, uh, it's like, it's still a hybrid position almost except of maybe where they're going to play like in terms of alignment. So I'm curious to see how that that position gets used. Like, are they gonna are they gonna float those guys further away from the box, or are they gonna keep them in the box and allow them to use their athleticism to get outside? I am curious to see how that works.
0: Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people are curious about. You know, the use of the use of the safeties, the use of the outside linebackers, and Brent Price scheme, because um, it really is going to be Brent Brent Price scheme here the first couple of years as he kind Absolutely. of brings this Marv along. Um, Nike Hawkins, he's kind of lined up all over the field in the Hokie secondary. Uh, In the past, he's moving essentially from one safety spot to another. So that really just plays into the discussion we're having here with how's Brent probably going to use his safeties? How's he going to use, you know, guys lining up the nickel, outside linebackers, et cetera? How's he going to line these guys up? That's really going to impact Nike Hawkins, for example, flipping sides of the field as a safety, right? That's, they got something in mind for him. Right, there, there's a reason they're making that move um, because I mean Hawkins has showed in the past when he's played even in the secondary or you know on special teams he does have athleticism um, that I think Tech wants to definitely use take advantage of. Um, a, a few other guys, Tyler Matheny, who everybody knows because he was playing safety early in the year uh, during the COVID year, had, and had two picks against NC State, right? Had two picks against NC State and really just he was making tackles all over the field. I mean, he was playing really hard. He was outmatched in some of the, uh, some of the matchups that he found himself in in the early part of that season, but the the kid's a football player. I mean, he's a depth, depth piece. He's probably not going to play a ton. Um, but, but he's a kid that, uh, definitely has the heart in him and definitely, uh, is a solid football player. So he's moving from Uh, strong side linebacker a third down Mike linebacker which I guess that means if he is going to play he's going to be on the field sparingly I guess that's what the third down Mike linebacker is in Brett Price game
1: it'll be probably similar to the 30 package we saw when Bud was around where uh, they played three down linemen and they play um, kind of those those rangy linebackers uh, and then you put the extra defensive back on the field Um, that was that was something that uh, Bud did a lot of, um, you know, if he was playing a team that was trying to trying to spread the field um, and and th- that could be what it is. But again, that goes back to what I was just saying about kind of the importance of the spring game for me is just to see the different ways that he is going to line up on defense. Um, even though that they're trying to move back to the four, three, how are they going to handle teams that spread them out and and try and, give you three, four receiver looks or, you know, three receivers with a tight end split out in the slot. I mean, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time because we just don't know what we're going to see.
0: Yeah, I I definitely, definitely agree with that. Okay. The two that I want to talk about here, um, because these are guys who contributed on the offensive end last year um, and, and two guys who I think will definitely have a role on the offense this fall chance black, so Chance Black was used as a kick returner. We saw him sparingly on offense. But as, when he came out of high school, last year he was a true freshman. When he came out of high school, everybody was talking about Chance Black as not only a running back, but a guy who lined up as a slot receiver a lot at the high school level. And we saw him line up at slot receiver a little bit towards the end of the year last year. We saw him sparingly in a running back role. But he was, he was on special teams a ton last year, you know, kick returner, punt returner, um, punt returner less with Tavion, but kick returner a ton. He's moving potentially to receiver full time. They also floated the idea of maybe moving him to defensive back. Basically the long and short of it is Brent Pry said that he's really talented and they got to find a way to get him on the field. Um, He's got to play more than he did last year.
1: Yeah. Basically it's, we have too many running backs, (laughs)
0: right? But we have too many running backs, but this kid can play football and he's going to be a good player. So we got to put him somewhere. Let's figure out where.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, that's what pry is doing right now is he's looking at his athletes and saying, okay, how many of these guys are in positions that they shouldn't have been in? How many of these guys need a better fit? And, um, how can we best utilize the guys that we have in the building right now? And, um, chance black would be an interesting piece because he's, you know, I believe he's 6'1", 180, something like that, which means he's kind of in that receiver frame anyway. Um, But if he's got the talent, then they they certainly need guys who can compete at wideout because it's going to be a a scary, scary first few games, I think, for the Hokies in terms of what we're going to see from the wide receivers.
0: Well speaking of wide receiver or tight end or H back or something, Connor Blumberg is not playing quarterback anymore, at least not anymore this not, spring.
1: Yeah, not full time. He he could certainly like play, you know, in some packages there, it sounds like, but you know, watching him in the in the pinstripe bowl, he's he's just a he's he's hard to tackle. Yeah. Right. So he's someone yeah he's someone that you want to try and get the ball and let him be physical. Now he's, he, he's kind of a weird physical player, right? Because he's only what 190 or 200 pounds. Like he's not, he's not bulky, right. but, but his style is not that speedster. Who's going to get around the edge. Like he's not right. Braxton Burmeister. He's much more akin to Quincy Patterson than Braxton Burmeister right. in terms of how he runs with the football. Um, which is an intriguing you know thing because if he's able to you know make catches and and then go up against smaller defensive backs that's a matchup that Virginia Tech would probably would bet on right like right. that's Agreed. that's not something you're upset about uh, but he's not someone that you really want blocking a ton especially right. not against defensive ends and defensive tackles he's he's someone that may be able to block you know, smaller defenders, but he's not a blocker. I mean, he is, right. he's a guy who was playing quarterback, then went to receiver, goes back to quarterback. And now they're just trying to find a way to get the ball in his hands because they don't have many offensive weapons. So
0: right.
1: I am curious to see if they, you know, put him in some running back situations, or if he does play an H back role, kind of like uh, early Dalton Keene type stuff. You know, but but before they started trying to throw him the ball a little bit, he he had some some packages where he would literally basically just play running back or fullback. And that's certainly something that I think would be an intriguing possibility for Connor Bullenburg. I have no idea if it's going to work. Right. I I don't I, I would doubt that he could hold up in that spot because he's already had injury issues in the past. Right. But if you can get some good play out of him, even for a few games, it might be worth it.
0: Yeah, and I think he's got a better chance to contribute at positions other than quarterback um, than he does to contribute at quarterback. He is is not
1: the answer at quarterback uh, at Virginia Tech this year or last year or whenever.
0: Right. Um, But, like you mentioned, he brings an interesting skill set to the table and he is, like you mentioned, he's hard to tackle. But At the same time, you don't want him blocking necessarily because, A, he's never been asked to really do that his entire career, and, B, he's not really kind of like the physical. He's tall, but he's lanky. He is somewhere in between a traditional tight end and, you know, what Bucky was. Bucky's athleticism was a bit ridiculous, um, but he wasn't that great of a blocker, and so Tech basically just split him out at receiver all the time, even though he was listed as a tight end his entire career.
1: I really have no like legitimate comparison for Connor Blumrick. Like, I don't, I can't think of anything that he really reminds me of. Like, I, I, he's because he's, he's that definitely- tall, lanky, he's that tall, lanky guy who runs like he's 225 pounds and he's just not. Um, but he's, he's physical. He's nasty with the ball in his hand. And, um, that's a, that's a mindset thing. That's a, that's a, 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 a heart thing. That's not something that you can really, you know, recruit, right? Like you don't really recruit. You're always recruiting height, you know, speed weight type stuff. But every so often you get that one guy who just has that mentality. Like Sam Rogers was the same way. Sam Rogers was on paper and not a good athlete. Right. But Sam had the mentality that made him a productive player. And Maybe Blumberg is able to do something similar.
0: It'll be interesting, um,
1: but I don't know of any athletes like him.
0: No, I can't think of one either. I mean, there's literally nobody that comes to mind in recent memory. If if you all can think of somebody, tweet at us. Let us know. Yeah, I mean, There's yeah. Nobody if You
1: can you can tell me someone who's like 6'2", like a buck ninety, two hundred pounds, and runs. You know, like like Derrick Henry then obviously he's not as good as right. Derrick Henry, but right. the same, the same play style, then certainly let us know. Cause I would be curious.
0: So tech had some, there's, there's no good way to transition to this, but I want to real quick. So tech had some open practices for the media and blumrick was lining up at receiver and, you know, was, was taking part in some pass catching drills I just want to touch on the quarterbacks real quick because you can you can only take so much from the drills, right? But from everything that reporters have been saying that have been at these practices in Blacksburg, it does seem like it's a pretty open competition at quarterback uh, between Grant Wells, the transfer from Marshall, Jason Brown, the transfer from Auburn. Um, South I'm, Carolina. I'm sorry, South Carolina. <laughs> um, Taj Bullock. Devin Farrell and it seems like it's really really open right now I mean I
1: well in the last practice it seemed like the the one reps were split between Wells and Brown and then the two reps were split between Bullock and Farrell so if you had to handicap it you would say that Wells and Brown are kind of your co-favorites and then right. Taj Bullock is probably third, and then I think Devin Farrell is in line for a redshirt year. Yep. Um, that would be an ideal situation. But, I, I you know, I'm I'm still going to hold out hope that Taj Bullock is able to impress these guys because I, I, really, I really would love for him to win this starting job. Um, I, I just think that he's got some tools that the other two don't have, and he's got more time. To develop those tools. Um, but Grant Wells and Jason Brown are probably going to be 1A and 1B until August.
0: Yeah, there was a tweet from David Cunningham, I believe, from Tech Sideline. I think it was David Cunningham, I'm trying to look for it right now, um, where he mentioned that Bullock was struggling quite a bit with his accuracy, but Devin Farrell was as well. The two, the duo were kind of struggling to kind of separate themselves from that second group. I mean, I think if Bullock's going to stick around, um, he's probably going to have to at least beat out Farrell to get himself in the, in the conversation to at least be a backup, because I think otherwise, you know, this is a kid who's already been on campus a year, and if you have a true freshman coming in beating him out for, like, a depth piece of quarterback and Bullock's buried on the depth chart, we know we're going to have some defections at running back. You know, some guys are going to transfer out. Brent Price already said it. We, all, I mean, we knew it because Fuente over-recruited the position. Um, but I, I think the quarterback room could be potentially another spot where a guy thinks about leaving. I think Farrell just got here, so it's a little too early. So the one guy I look at is Taj Bullock, naturally, Bullock because Brown and yeah, Wells just got here.
1: He's definitely the one that is on the kind of the the bubble right now. If we're looking at transfers, I mean, Brown's done after the year, right? He's uh, his his eligibility is exhausted, I believe. Um, Grant Wells, though, is not. He's got at least a couple years left, and uh, you would think that he's going to stick around even if he loses the 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 job this year, because uh, he'll be able to roll into. 2023, God, which is just crazy to think of. He'll be able to roll into 2023 and and probably have the uh, the inside edge to be the starter. And then, De- yeah, Devin Farrell. I think it would be a mistake for him to transfer already when he hasn't even finished a full year in the program. So Bullock is definitely the guy that's kind of on the outs right now. Um, and now, if he were to somehow win the starting job, then I'm not really sure what that room looks like. Um, but Right now, the way things are shaken out, he's probably going to be someone that we're sitting here in uh, May, you know, wondering, okay, is he going to be gone or if he's already gone, you know, what, what is, what does Virginia Tech do for depth? Do they try and go get another person or do they stick with Devin Farrell
0: as their number three? Okay, so what do you what do you think of the defensive side of the ball right now? They were talking about <clears throat> Andy Bitter in his article on the Athletic was talking about the defensive line. Cole Nelson, it looks like he's lining up opposite Taiwan Garbutt. Um, defensive tackle. I mean, it looks like Josh Fuga and Norell Pollard, not a huge surprise, but Cole Nelson's really intriguing at that one defense bench spot.
1: Yeah, I don't know what we're gonna get out of him. I mean, he's he's kind of a an unknown at this point and um, given Virginia Tech's play on the defensive line last year, that could be a good thing. Uh, Jalen Griffin is someone who I kind of expected to maybe take over a starting role um, this season, and if he if it's looking like he's um, not going to be in that spot, then you know he's someone who could potentially be on the outs in terms of looking elsewhere. Um, Garbett is is your clear number one. I don't think that's up for debate um, but the depth on the on, on defensive end is kind of shaky right you've got Matthias Carroll who hasn't played CJ McRae who hasn't played um, wolford Panay is is inside Gunnar Givens just moved inside so the 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 depth on the outside is limited at best and if if there were going to be any, you know, transfer additions from spring to summer, it would probably be on the, on at defensive end. You would think if there's even anyone in the portal, that's worth it, but.
0: I mean, that's something they'll be evaluating though. Cause I know that, you know, it's not just Virginia tech, but other schools are definitely going to be. Um, there are going to be guys transferring out other programs for sure. After the spring is just kind of what happens. Ricky, you had an article or you have an article that I guess is going to be going up on Dallas District. you're talking about, you're talking to me about the PR push of the football program. Um, I wanted you to kind of get into it a little bit because I know it hasn't been published yet, but I know it's something that'll probably be up here shortly, right around the time this podcast is released. So um, I know you had a couple things you want to get into here.
1: Yeah, I mean, we all kind of lamented the way that this football program attacked the public relations side of things for the last five years um and things have just been drastically different since brent price started i mean first of all brent Pry knows how to hit tweet which is uh not a bad quality right because he's not being justin hamilton and just stepping in it um but Brent Pry has you know used his Twitter to act like a normal college football coach, and that's a good thing, and his staff is using it. And they're, you know, and that is how you are going to connect with kids in this day and age uh, by being active on social media. And you know, we were talking about this before we pressed record, and there are, like th- th- there are a few events that Virginia Tech has publicized over the last couple months that I don't remember being publicized under the previous regime. Um, Virginia Tech did a bunch of pictures for a a big family lunch at the indoor practice facility, Um, showing folks having a good time and and interacting with one another and Brent Pry going around and talking to families and things like that. And they uh, showed some pictures of Brent Pry giving a a private speech to the Corps Cadets. Uh, something that I have never seen uh, in my time covering Virginia Tech. Um, And then Brent Pry giving a speech to the Blacksburg Sports Club, which I know has happened in the past with Virginia Tech's head coaches and also some of their assistants. But that was never publicized from the university's perspective. And these are things that show your leader of the football program being active in the community and trying to build those relationships. And I mean, Mike, you, you know, your, your job and business is is similar to mine in the sense that we have to build relationships with people when we're interacting with them. And that's the only way things get done. And it's the same thing in every industry. You've got to build those those person to person relationships. And it seems like Virginia Tech just has a better head for that now under this regime. Uh, even though a lot of the folks that are doing this kind of work haven't ch- changed, you know, people people have you know blamed Pete Morris for a lot of stuff that the football program has done over the last five years. Well, guess what? Pete Morris is still around, and not only are we having a spring game, but it's televised. There have been what two open practices now um, for the media, one for the, one for the fans. You've got all of these events being publicized and guess what folks pete morris is still running public relations for virginia tech football so yeah it 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 seems like this is a a change in direction from the top and it's a good one i like it
0: yeah i i think pete is an easy target you know as the as the pr guy right um the one thing i will say is that A lot of and and you're seeing it now right you make a great point with you know things are different for the football program in terms of pr but pete is still the one constant but there's a lot of change and what that tells you is that pete wasn't the one who was withholding information from media members right or not giving as much access or not wanting to publicize you know good things happening within the football program you can point to pete because he's a PR guy, right? He is, you know, the, um, you know, the associate AD for communication or whatever his official title is, right? But essentially he's the SID, right? He's sports information director for football program. And, you know, a lot of his job is reliant upon what the head coach wants in terms of access, et cetera. And Fuente's regime just did not want to let reporters and fans in for most of the tenure. The only reason why they got a little bit better with that last year, obviously not to the degree that Pry has, you know, outlaid his plan and has gotten things moving on social media. We didn't see anything like that for Fuente's regime over the course of six years he was in Blacksburg. But the reason why we started to see a shift more towards a more fan-friendly, media-friendly experience last year was because Fuente was under a lot of pressure because the team wasn't performing well. So they were trying to, make their lives a bit easier in other aspects of things. And I think not to harp too much on the Justin Fuente era, because it's kind of, it's gone, right? It's done, it's gone, whatever. But the one thing I'll take away from this is that Justin Fuente is probably sitting here and what, and you know, if he's smart and kind of wants to reflect on what went wrong in Blacksburg and how he wants to improve moving forward, I think the one easy thing to fix would be, how he handles media relations around the team that he's managing, right? Because that was a big, big red red mark on the football program, so to speak. You know, when the team started losing, it didn't help that you weren't giving the media access, right? Because the media was not myself included, you beat writers. Nobody was all that friendly when things started spiraling out of control. And, you know, some people write. Right within agenda, but you know you don't get the benefit of the doubt when you don't have access. You don't see what's going on behind closed doors, and it's it's very it's hard.
1: hard. Yeah, it, it, it's very hard to try and explain away bad things when you don't really know what's going on on the practice field. You don't know what's going on in the locker room. Uh, so all you're left with is the results, right? And the results right. were bad um so yeah and you know i'm hoping that this will be a constant i'm hoping that this isn't just a thing uh that virginia tech is doing now that because brent Pry is new, i don't think that's the case i think virginia tech is is going to stick with this approach uh because brent that's how brent Pry does things and that's probably how james franklin does things i'm not a, an expert on how franklin handles the 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 media in, in, at penn state but i would i would bet money that prize is using this strategy because he's experienced it in the past under james
0: franklin yeah i mean that's he spent basically his entire career with franklin whether it's been at penn state or vanderbilt elsewhere yeah. um he has learned how to do things through james franklin which i mean franklin's a really good coach so <laughs> if that's how you're learning your craft great if that's how we're going to take it take virginia tech to the next level that's that's what you want it's been successful elsewhere. You know, we've definitely seen it be successful elsewhere. You know, if you're going to not be a very media or fan friendly program, you better be winning football games though. And Virginia Tech is not, you know, the Virginia Tech of the past under Justin Fuente is not the only program guilty of this around the country. We see it all oh, the time.
1: Oh no. Yeah.
0: We see it yeah, all it the hap- time.
1: It happens a lot.
0: Yeah, which, you know how you want to run things is how you want to run things. That's totally fine, but you better be winning football games if you're not letting anybody in on anything and you're not letting fans in on anything. So I'll turn on you real quick as, as we've seen, despite all that, Justin Fuente still got six years in Blacksburg, which is more than I think I, I thought he would get considering the backlash and, you know, that COVID year really kind of changed things quite a bit um, from a, athletic department finances standpoint not just at virginia tech but across the country there were a lot of coaches that probably got one extra year last year that probably shouldn't have and a lot of that was because of finances and athletic departments due to COVID. so i don't know it's interesting the the program i think is definitely heading in a better direction from a pr standpoint anytime you can take an easy win with with media and fans, I think you should take it. You know, as a football program, it just makes a lot of sense from a PR standpoint. Good PR is is better than no PR or bad PR. So, you know, get as much of that going as you can. And I think, to be quite honest with you, I think Brian and his staff do need to establish this good public relations stuff here early because I'm not sure the wins are going to come very easily here in the first couple of years. So, you know, this is a fan base that's very invested in the program, which is a good thing. Um, But because of that, you have fans who can turn on you quickly and be very critical early on. I think if pry is doing the right things and he's starting to establish a culture and you're starting to see that, you know, maybe it doesn't lead to wins, but maybe tech is in a game, you know, next season against a team they're definitely overmatched against, and maybe they're fighting for four quarters. You can kind of see the culture start to be established. Like, That's the kind of stuff I think we're going to be looking for in year one. Like, it would be great to win some of these games, but knowing the roster that was left behind, the guys that are graduating, the guys that left and transferred, there's going to be a lot of guys playing on the field next year that are either playing a little bit earlier than I think Brent Pry would like. You know, a lot of young guys on the field, but I think it'll pay off here in a few seasons if – you know, there's some progress made in year one. Doesn't mean the team's going to win eight or nine games, but it might mean that, you know, this team is battling at least in some of the games where they're overmatched, right? Like playing a team like West Virginia next year, right? In Blacksburg, that's going to be a pretty big game. You know, playing Miami is Miami's going to have a good team next year. Like These are games that are going to be really important in year one for Brent Pry to at least show that he's establishing a culture and the team is at least playing hard in those games for him, which there were a lot of losses for Fuente, right? But the one thing we said last year was that team never really quit under Fuente. They never quit. They weren't playing very well. But you didn't really see a quit all that often, which was, you know, something that you know, speaks to a culture that is going to want to kind of continue to to build, you know, making sure these guys are still playing hard for him.
1: Bronco Mendenhall started his tenure in Charlottesville with a two and 10 season. And that included an absolute ass whipping at the hand of Virginia Tech and Lane Stadium. Uh, he then went six and seven. So Broncos you know, early tenure at UVA was pretty bad, you know, by, especially by his standards. But there was never any heat on, on Bronco early on. And I think the reason he, that there wasn't much heat was that Bronco effectively used the media covering his program to connect with his fans and get them to buy into a broader vision. Um, so when, when Virginia was struggling at two and 10, and then the following year, they go three and five in the ACC and they still finish under 500. It was okay because they made a bowl game, right? Like they're like, okay, the vision is coming. And, you know, there was zero heat on Bronco after that six and seven year. And then sure enough, he goes eight and five and nine and five the next two years, including a coastal division title in 2019 um so you can do yourself so many favors by effectively using the media to connect with your with your fans and i think that's what brent pry is doing right now
0: yeah and i mean we'll get into this further into the off season as we get into summer and stuff like that but i think a reasonable expectation year one is for brent pry to try to make a bowl game (laughs) that's something he's going to try to do in year one and i think that's a that's a worthwhile goal to try to go out and achieve. That should be,
1: like, that should be like a baseline expectation every season, considering right. how easy right. it is to oh. make a bowl
0: game. <laughs> right, no, no, I understand that. But considering how hard Virginia Tech's made it look the last few years. Like, oh, absolutely.
1: It's been it's um, been like a, a sweat fest for the, with last, more talent. the last few with, seasons.
0: Yeah, With more talent on the roster than, than Pride's going to have in year one. Um, and look, I... Fuente did an okay job relative to, like, how he did on the recruiting trail the previous few years. He did an okay job recruiting his final year, and a lot of those guys Pry was able to retain. So, you know, maybe some of these guys play, like I mentioned earlier, like some of these guys maybe play a little bit earlier than I think a lot of people would like, but, you know, maybe – a Cole Nelson, right in his second full year with the program, takes a step forward. You know, a Matthias Carroll, right in his second year with the program, didn't really do much on the field last year. Cole Nelson played more than he did. Maybe Carroll gets some reps, right, as a rotational defensive end. Um, maybe Chance Black emerges into a more of a sure role. So, I, I mean, there are some young guys who played last year. There's some young guys coming in, you know, um, into the program. Bryce Duke at running back, who seems to be getting some getting some reps, pretty high up on the depth chart in terms of you know drill positional drills that media have been seeing seems like he's you know acclimating himself quite nicely you know you have Gunnar Gibbons we already talked about on this podcast so you know there are young guys who I think can make an impact in year one that you know maybe could make a difference um, for Virginia Tech if all things go well to get Virginia Tech from you know four wins to five wins or five wins to six wins etc but Tech's made it hard on themselves with more talented rosters in the last couple of years. And there's going to be a lot of holes on this roster, especially on offense, that I think Tech fans should be pretty concerned about if you're worried about wins and losses in year one, um, for those fans that are worried about it. But it's going to take a few years, I think. And I think the more that you build up the PR, to go back to our original point, the more that you build up the good PR, you know, that's going to buy prize and time here. Um, to kind of establish a culture and start moving things in a good direction.
1: And you can speed up that process by recruiting better. And I'll use that as my segue to, I think, what we really want to hit on to wrap this up, at least for tonight. Um, (laughs) Some folks have been, I don't don't know what the right right word is here, uh, upset or nervous maybe
0: nervous about anxious anxious let's go with anxious
1: yeah about virginia tech having zero football commits for 2023 Mm -hmm. um are you like if you had to assess your level of worry on a scale of one to ten about virginia tech having no football commitments right now where would you be
0: like uh maybe like here's here's the thing right so you can point back to when Justin Fuente first got on the campus in 2016 you can point to the fact that Virginia Tech on the field was struggling um, you know leading into the Fuente tenure and last few years at didn't go particularly well wins and losses wise and the same can be said for Virginia Tech um, from a wins and losses standpoint over the last few years but I think the one key difference here is that Tech's in a position now, um, it's a bit different from five or six years ago. The transfer portal is pretty significant in terms of guys just up and leaving as soon as a coach dips out. You know, that's more prevalent now than it was when Justin Fuente took over. There was more talent on the roster um, when, when Fuente took over from Beamer than when Price taking over from Fuente, um, both from guys transferring in and out, but also in terms of just flat out recruiting. Like Beamer was still recruiting. Okay. In his last few years, it just wasn't panning out to wins and losses. Fuente recruited at an all time poor level for Virginia tech football a few years ago. And a lot of those guys are still in the program, but haven't produced. So you're seeing a lot of that. So it's just a different situation, right? It's a different situation where, you know, Fuente landed a few recruits early on. um, you know, within his first few months on campus. Pry hasn't done that, but is that a concern for me? Not necessarily. Uh, this is a a brand that's down right now on a national scale. Um, you know, Beamer didn't burn all the bridges in Virginia like Fuente did. So Pry and his No, staff but
1: someone had, on his staff burned a few.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah fair. Um, not to the same level, though, and Pry has tried to fix that, obviously, Um, but there's only so much you can do in your first few months on the job, and I think, you know, fences will be mended, but it's going to take some time, so I think if, if Virginia Tech doesn't have any commits by spring game, you know, maybe you start to get a little bit more concerned, but I think you keep in mind that, you know, relationships need to be established with this new coaching staff, and and some of these players, especially considering who they're targeting, you know, in the state of Virginia specifically, they're making that a priority right now. And the relationship between high school coaches in Virginia and Virginia Tech Texas hasn't really been all that good over the last few years, um, really for the last five or six years uh, since Fuente's been here.
1: So you're at a four.
0: I'm like a four,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with a three. Oh, man. Like, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it it's not good, right? Like right, yes, right. we would like if, for Jane Tech to have some commits.
0: You prefer. Yeah, you'd prefer.
1: Um and you know, but given like, I don't know, he's been on the job for four months. Right. Right? Right. Like I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go after a guy from like, hey, you haven't gotten a 17-year-old kid to sign away the next you know, three to five years of his life to to your program yet.
0: Because you Uh, just met them 20 minutes ago.
1: Yeah. You know, and 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 sure, he's probably met some of these kids before. For sure. You know, because he was recruiting them at Penn State. Yep. But he's got, I mean, hell, his offensive court his offensive coordinator wasn't hired until what, late January.
0: Right. Couldn't. Couldn't be hired. Like
1: yeah. So I, I I'm, not, I'm not all that worried about it right now and I'm with you if, if tech doesn't have any you know commits by the end of the spring game weekend uh maybe we start you know raising that up to like a four or five on my end but yeah you know th- this is this is going to take time um and you know something that you and I are both in agreement on is that I'm not going to hold this recruiting class against pry as much as I will hold the next one mm-hmm. against pry like yes like the, yeah. that's not to say that he's exempt from all responsibility from this class right but he's start he's starting behind the eight ball from the get-go and right. uh, that's important to acknowledge when assessing a coach's ability to recruit for sure so I'm not gonna I'm, I'm just I'm not I'm not all that worried about it right now I, I'm more no. worried about Brent Pry finding out where the players that are actually in Blacksburg right now, where they fit best. Right. Like I, it should not have taken a coaching change to realize that Lakeem Rudolph was probably not a wide out,
0: not a wide receiver. <laughs>
1: right. Um, Right. Outrageous. You
0: know, I'm, I'm still stuck on that. <laughs> so uh, yeah,
1: it will let's, let's wait and see, you know, I, I've, I've been accused of being too pessimistic in the past, but I think right now I'm, I'm being quite optimistic in the sense that folks just need to give it time and, yeah. and see what happens.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned it like the 23 class from like a ranking standpoint, like say tech finishes like the 50th best class in the country, which would be, which would be worse than last year. It would be pretty much on par with the class I had two years ago for 21. Let's say that Virginia Tech finishes in like high 40s, low 50s. I don't think people should be sounding the alarm yet, right? Like, no,
1: like now, like now, is is that a good thing? No. No, right? No, right. But does that mean that Virginia Tech is destined to recruit in that level for the next three to five years? I would say no. No, right. Um, so yeah, like this. This class is important, I think, for for Brent Pry to fill uh, his numbers where he yes. needs to fill numbers. Um, so you know, if he feels like they're low on defensive ends, which, you know, given the roster, I, I would say that they are. Right. Then I think it's important for Brent Pry to sign at least three defensive ends in this class. Yeah. Um, if he feels like, okay, well, we've got. Some guys at you know offensive guard, but we don't have very many guys who can play tackle right now, which is the case. Yeah. Um, especially when one of those guys is done after the year, and Silas Dandy. So right. Virginia Tech probably needs to go get themselves two or three offensive tackles in this yeah. class. You know, just Definitely. to make sure that you're you're stocking the pipeline for the, down the road, so you don't have to take someone who would be better suited at guard, and then kick them out outside where they're not really you know best suited to play long term so definitely this class is important obviously but it's more important that brent Pry get the numbers right as opposed to him knocking it out of the park and getting three or four of the top 10 in virginia which is just not going to happen
0: i mean every class is important which is why we talk about the 2020 class so much that was the worst in the power five every class is important um, but I think what's most important for the 23 class like sure we we would love to get some some of the top prospects in the state of Virginia. I don't think it's all that likely that happens. Can you get one in the top 10, which would be basically as many as Justin Fuente pulled his last three or four years. Yeah, like you can probably get one in the top 10. It's going to be an uphill battle to do that. Um, I, I think what is most important now the 23 class realistically is look at the types of guys that he's recruiting right? The types of guys that the staff are going after. Um, we saw a shift obviously from, from, you know, Bud Foster recruiting to the types of defensive linemen that Justin Hamilton wanted to recruit, right? That was a very, that's a very easy example, right? You know, Bud wanted the small, fast guys. Um, Hamilton was going for the bigger body defensive ends. That was like a clear change when Bud retired and and Hamilton came in. So look for things like that, you know, look for, you know, traits and players, um, that, that, you know, prying the staff for recruiting. I think that's what is going to be most interesting, you know, to watch in this class of 23. And I think hey, you I've, get actually,
1: a re- I've actually changed my mind. If Virginia Tech doesn't get Arch Manning in this class, <laughs> then, uh, I, then then quite frankly, this, this entire era is doomed to fail. It's doomed.
0: Yeah. It's doomed. Um, yeah. 24 and beyond is where I think we really start to evaluate the uh, recruiting ability of. of Pry and his staff. But the one thing I will say is that if Pry and his staff struggle to like get anyone in 23 and then 24 is a little bit more mediocre than I think a lot of people want, then I think you start having data points where you're like, oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is going to be a problem. Uh, but they are behind the eight ball relationships wise, you know, so many of the, the relationships, with high school prospects now are built when, you know, they're in eighth and ninth grade, you know, before they even get to high school um so that's that's a big aspect to watch too it's like Virginia Tech might even be a little bit behind the eight ball in 24 as well Um, but 23 for sure way behind 24 you're, you're talking to sophomores and sophomores and juniors for 24 25 and beyond so Tech should position themselves much better than what they're doing in 23 where they're gonna do the best they can but they're gonna be scrambling for sure
1: I'm looking at the top Uh, prospects in Virginia for 2023, and I'm seeing a lot of guys either already committed to Penn State or uh leaning in that direction. So, Brent Pry is gonna probably have his work cut out for him this year. Uh, and I'm not sure what kind of success he'll have, but basically, what we're trying to say, folks, is it's gonna be okay. Like, don't, yeah, don't, don't go to the message boards and have a panic attack, it's gonna be all right. And, look, if I'm telling you it's going to be okay and everyone thinks I'm the most pessimistic fan in this fan base, then so I, think you're, I think you're going to be all right. Just give it, give it some time and let's see what happens. It, be, be thankful for the fact that, you know, if you're not able to make it to Blacksburg in a couple of weeks for spring game, you can watch it on TV. You can. Which is just outstanding.
0: It's gonna be great. That's how I'm gonna take it in. I will not be in attendance, <laughs> Blacksburg, unfortunately. So
1: that's a that's a shame, Mikey. Your uh, your fan points are are, are decreasing, going down. Going I'm not down a sure. I'm not sure you're actually a fan. I think you're. <laughs> I think you're a plant.
0: I'm a I'm a, I'm a hater or faker or something. <laughs> well, all right, Rick. Anything else? We covered um, a lot.
1: Yeah. Um, rate, review, subscribe. Obviously um that shouldn't be shouldn't be a question um i don't think there's really anything else that i've been thinking about um i don't know what your bracket looks like mike it's but done. i stopped i done. stopped looking um, on the first night i find done. it oh a uh, shout out to bruce arians for retiring yeah, happy retirement um front office I, stuff now obviously caught everybody by surprise but um, the man has earned it. Like, yeah, one of the, one of the cooler dudes in the, in the industry. Um, yes, it's abrupt. Um, yes, I have some questions, but I'm more so proud for him. And also, like, they really couldn't have picked a better guy to replace him because I thought Todd Balls was deserving of a job, you know, after this year. Right. Um, and now he gets to, to get his second head coaching gig
0: with a much better Nintendo. team
1: yeah and you know hey you know welcome to your first year on uh, as the head coach uh, your quarterback is tom brady yeah so, must be
0: nice
1: <laughs> like it takes, things could be worse
0: yeah not blaine gabbert which is was looking like how things were trending and that todd are, Bulls, better uh kyle trask yeah and todd Bowles has already had a situation in the past as a head coach where he's had a quarterback that hasn't been any good so it must be nice having Tom Brady as your quarterback, your first year on the job with Tampa Bay. So, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Andrew will be back next week. Uh, enjoy the final four in the national championship. My picks are Kansas and Duke. I think Duke's going to win the national championship, unfortunately. So that's kind of where I'm at. I would love to see Villanova get in there, but Justin Moore got hurt, and they're going to have a hard time guarding Kansas, I think.
1: Yeah, so, that's that's – really brutal for for him like yeah congrats you're going to the final four and oh wait your season's over Sucks. and not only is your season over but now you have a serious injury to rehab for the rest of the offseason so yeah um hopefully he'll be able to get through that but yeah that was really disappointing what Bummer. watching him cry on the floor you know while the, the his team is trying to celebrate was just really really hard to watch
0: Yeah, it was. I think it was bittersweet for Jay Wright too, because he was kind of reserved in the postgame presser. Like he was excited, but at the same time, he was pretty disappointed.
1: Also, I'm not really, I'm not really big into like the one shining moment every year, but it's going to be pretty lit when we have not one but two cheerleader assists. Yes, uh, on the tape this year, I I saw that graphic come up. I think it was in the uh, the UNC. unc st peter's game maybe uh and they showed (laughs) cheerleader assists in last year's in the regular season and it was zero and the ncaa tournament it was two yeah (laughs) yeah pretty
0: pretty good
1: honestly for me that was the funniest part of of march madness
0: those videos went viral too hell yeah but like
1: you know forget the stadium staff with a broomstick, just, just, you know, lift somebody up there, let them get it. It'd be fine.
0: Let them knock the ball that's stuck, you know, behind the shot clock or whatever, you know, have them get it. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right, Rick, we will be back next week. I'm sure we'll have some more stuff coming out of spring practice. Um, Hopefully nothing too major, but we'll have stuff to break down. Hopefully enough to talk about to record next week. Andrew will be back. And until then, go Hokies. Hopefully
1: in one piece.
0: Yes, hopefully in one piece. (laughs) For sure. Until then, go Hokies.